All right, good morning, church. We're going to have our scripture reading now. Um, the scripture passage for today is going to be in Ezekiel, starting in chapter 2, verse 8, and go to chapter 3, verse 15. Okay, Ezekiel 2, 8. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me, for all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where I was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. The spirit then lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit, with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar River, and there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. Amen. Thank you, Becca. Many have asked how I'm doing with my L's and woes. I'm ailing and woeing, and uh, the back surgery a few weeks ago, they weren't able to do what they went in to do, <clears throat> and so we're back to, to testing and probably more complicated surgery in my future, but thanks for your prayers. Um, recently, a pastor of a, a long-standing Bible-centered denominational church declared that he was going to preach the Word just as it was. Well, that doesn't sound like it should be something that unusual or significant. He wasn't going to allow for any cultural amendments or interpretations, but within several months of that announcement, uh, well over half of his church um, left. They denounced his leadership. In some cases, there were decades of friendship that were broken. In a few cases, he was taunted told to get with the times. And they left over a self-honoring 
gospel that lifted up man in cultural ways instead of what God had deemed fitting for a sinful people to hear. Last week, I told the pastor that uh, this next week he would be receiving a check from High Point Church as a way of honoring his stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, you don't need to do that. And I said, no, we don't. But we can and we are because what you did took guts. It was right. It was holy. It was righteous. We want to honor you. He said, it's taken a toll on my wife and I. I said, we just want you to use the money to take some days to refresh, to regroup, and to uh, reset your sails. And he was, he wept. And he said, thank you. And he said, please tell your people thank you. So thank you for caring about the gospel. It's so important. In Ezekiel 2, there begins a story of a preacher who was given one message, and that message was God's message. And he was given that in an unusual way. God gave him a scroll and told him to eat it. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I were that person, as Nick opened up the passage last week, it's a bit weird, and yeah, it's okay. And, uh, and the scroll was written on both sides, and many argue what that means, and it probably just means you can't add to it. It's full. And Ezekiel was told to not only eat it, but digest it, to make it his own, to chew on it, to ponder it, to live it out, to struggle with it, to recognize from the beginning of time and all the decrees that God has given, nothing had changed. The call to holiness was still present. The call to be the people of God was still present that the heart of God has never turned from his people, even though his people had turned from him. And Ezekiel knew it was a hard message. It was a difficult message, but he knew there was a responsibility that he bore to preach it. Paul in Romans 10 said, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And he goes on to say that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Preaching the heralding of God's word is not the best way to communicate. Have you ever noticed that? This is the only venue where you go to hear a sermon. Because men and all their knowledge and such have found out that there are better ways to commute a message and yet God in his wisdom has used the foolishness of man and anointed that for his message. And it is the most effective in God's hands with God's word way to speak to the human soul. So Ezekiel had a challenging task at hand to say the least. God says here, take the scroll, digest it, internalize it. One of the most difficult things about preaching is that you're the first person to hear the sermon. 
When a pastor puts a sermon together, or an evangelist or whoever is teaching, and we take it in and we internalize it and we contemplate it and we wonder what it is, what's the truth that God is wanting us to convey to the people of God or those who may not know him but who are destined to hear the sermon, we first have to deal with it. We have to deal with it in our own lives. Because if we get up here and we preach what we don't believe or what we don't live, it will fall on deaf ears. Verse 6, God says, Ezekiel, if you don't preach what I give you, if you alter it, you will be just as rebellious as the people I'm sending you to preach it to. So it doesn't matter if it's comfortable. It doesn't matter if it's judging. It doesn't matter if it's victorious. You preach what the Word of God says and what you're given. And that at times can be difficult. It can be burdensome. It can be tiring. It can be heartbreaking when it goes unheeded. It's daunting. It's wonderful. It's amazing, though, to watch the release of God's transforming power when the Word is heeded and you see life given. You see people grow. You see people flourish inside of the Word of God. No pastor should ever enjoy the consequences of sin to their people, nor should a parent ever enjoy the need to discipline, and yet it's necessary. Why? Because we make mistakes. We need to be reminded of what is right and what is good and what is holy and what is righteous. And the second reason is because God requires it. Acts 4.20, Apostle said, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And yet, there's a wonderful factor about God's word, and Ezekiel calls it sweetness. Ezekiel recognized that the message was a difficult message. But he also knew the heart of God. And those two things have to go together. Have you ever walked into your wife, husband's, and said, I love you? And they would do just what you're doing. You're laughing. Why? Because there's not consistency in the message. The words, I love you, are meant to be stated in such a way that there's feeling, that the body stance is open, that there's intimacy. I love you. And that's a far different message received than, I love you. Ezekiel knew that the judgment of God's word had an end game that was sweet. There was something about God and his character because it doesn't change, because the heart of the Father is always for his creation, mankind. That if heeded, there would be this goodness, this sweetness that would happen, this transformation to a sin-laden heart. In Hebrews chapter 12, 
it talks about Jesus being beaten and broken and bruised, and yet for the joy set before him. Even though he, the pain was there and the suffering was great, even though he knew he was going to die, there was something that was sweet because of what was happening, because of what was being, um, would be produced by his death and resurrection for us. We would become his. We would become the children of God. There would be this love relationship that he and the Father and the Spirit would delight in as we receive and believe in Christ as our Lord. And so Ezekiel understood that there was this difficulty. Today, there's a difficulty in the message because it's a reminder that we're a stubborn and rebellious people. And yet there's a sweetness because God's heart has never changed towards stubborn and rebellious people. God's the giver of good things, even his judgments when heeded, result in redemption. And that is so important for us to hear. And in that, God is relentless because he loves you. He loves me. Can you imagine what it's like for God to listen to our, our head talk, to our doubt, to our fear? Does it put him into a tailspin when he's provided so much good, when he's given us his word? No. I'm sure it saddens him like a parent who sees his kid make a wrong decision, it grieves us. But it doesn't change our love for him. Sometimes it intensifies it. Because we don't want that child to lose. We don't want that child to be lost. We don't want that child to go in a way that they'll never know Christ. God's relentless against those who reject him. Two weeks ago, at the Capital Bible Study, I experienced a little bit of this. I walked in and the Bible study was actually on something different. And, and everybody in the room were Christians. And they were arguing and they were calling each other names. And apparently the session before, uh, with the whole House of Representatives had not gone particularly well, and there was name-calling and all kinds of things, and this righteous indignation welled up within me. And I let him go for about 10 minutes, and I just said in a very direct tone, stop. Everybody looked at me, and they sat down. And I said, listen to yourselves, your brothers in Christ, our sisters weren't there that day, thank goodness. What are you doing? And God gave me some very distinct, succinct words for them. And I called them out by name because they needed to apologize to each other. They needed to act like the God that they professed to serve. 
And it was very uncomfortable for everybody in the room, including me. And yet I knew that it was necessary. And afterwards, one by one, as they were leaving, they, they came and they apologized to me for needing to parent them, for needing to call them out and thank, thanking me for, for being bold enough to do so. And there was a sweetness in their tone as he said, thank you. Because truth spoken into chaos results And so there are times There are times right back on. There are times when, when the preacher has to understand these things and deliver and recognize that God in his character will also deliver as the people either listen or they don't. If they don't, there'll be conviction, there'll be condemnation. But when it's received, there is freedom, there is joy. There is transformation. And the passage moves on, and it leaves the preacher, and it goes to the people. He says, the people are hard. The people have a hardness of heart. I'm not sending you to people who have never heard or who don't know me. I'm sending you to people who do and have known me. They just have chosen to be willfully disobedient. They have chosen to be hard in their thinking against God. The people at the church I opened up telling you about made a decision that God's word was not enough, that somehow their interpretation and their description of what they wanted to believe was somehow better than what God had for them. Anybody have terrible twos or, or uh, threes at home? Hey, Amen, huh? I remember when our oldest was two and a half, three years old, and she was always a delight. She had this belly laugh that was contagious, except for one day a month. She would just turn into this willful, stubborn, selfish replication of her father that her mother had to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Remember cassette tapes? So my mom had this big thing with probably 100 cassette tapes of all these sermons and Bible teachers in it. And Esther walks into the room, and Jay is just pulling all the tape out. And there's probably 20 empty cassettes on the floor and a mass of tape. And for four hours, that little two-and-a-half-year-old said, No, I will not be sorry. Esther was in tears. I was at a distance. I didn't want any part of that. 
She's the patient one. Finally, she said, I'll tell Mama I'm sorry, but I don't mean it. <laughs> Two-year-olds are proof that sin is inherent in people. You don't have to teach them that. Willfully obstinate. That's who Ezekiel had to go to. Today, what's the prevalent thought? That the individual needs to be served. That the individual has their own truth. That God's truth doesn't apply to them anymore. That somehow what is culturally relevant has more power to shape and to form than the Word of God who created them. And it's widely believed, not just in the reaches away from church, but in some of our churches. Truth is understood of what works for me. Truth is understood of what the populace wants to hear. I've been in a meeting of pastors where they had chosen to change the instruction of God's Word and its meaning. I've been asked to leave churches like, or conversations like that because I referenced Jesus as Lord in that His Word was not changeable. I've been sworn at, called vile names, and barred from a university chapel where students have been invited to come and receive spiritual guidance because I had held to the whole counsel of God. That was at Virginia Tech after the horrid shootings of 21 students and professors. Interesting enough, after the media left three days later, that supervising pastor left as well. And the university invited our team in, and not only invited us in, but they housed us for the next six weeks as we did provide biblical spiritual counsel to the students of Virginia Tech. Sin's ugly, God hates it. It's selfish, it's destructive. I tell you these things because nothing has changed. Sin has always been selfish. Sin has always lifted man in light of God. And we know, as witnessed by a two-year-old, it's just not true. We know that in our own hearts, in our own self-talk, there are times I don't like God's Word. It causes me to do that which I don't want to do. But I know the character of God, and so I bend, I bow, and I obey the Word given to me. And I've always found it to be a sweet conclusion. There have been times when I've said no, or I'll say it, but I don't mean it. And God has set back and let me suffer the consequences. And you've had those experiences too. There's the preacher and there's the people, and then there was one more scene. And this is a scene that I, as a pastor in Lakely Nick, we don't appreciate and we really don't like. 
But it says the spirit lifted him up, and Ezekiel says, and I was distressed because I didn't want to see what sin was truly like. And he set him down in Tel Aviv next to the river, and he made him watch sin for seven days to be in the center of a sinful people, to see the brokenness, the hurt, and the pain. See, God is not a God who doesn't understand what you're going through. He gets the isolation, the pain of loneliness when he turned his back on his son, the cross. He understands the temptation. He knows you hurt. He knows they hurt. And he made sure the preacher understood that. Because it couldn't just be a word of judgment for judgment's sake. It had to be a word of judgment that was consistent with the heart of the Father. It had to be a word of judgment that didn't condemn, but a word that brought life if heeded. Even though God told him it would not be heeded, still, take my word in my way to the people because God loves, because God endures our sin. He doesn't like it. He hates it, but he loves us. And Ezekiel had to understand that in all the magnificence of God, there was room for people to sin and God to persevere and God to go after, and as the preacher, that had to be okay. What about us? It's easy for us to say they reject God. Is there anything, is there a message that God has repeatedly had to bring to you over and over again that you have not heeded? It's an important question because God was faithful to his people, the Israelites, as Nick said last week, for 500 years, but there came a point where he said, you know what? I have been generous to you, but you have rejected me to the point where the nations are now looking at you and wondering, what am I going to do? And so he brought judgment, but with the same heart. In Romans 1, Paul talks about the fact that, that people have twisted and turned what they knew was right. And there came a point when God gave them over to their sin so that they could understand in the depths of their woe that God's way was right, that God's way was the pathway to life. And it still is for us today. He doesn't want you to suffer. He wants you to take his word, to take his pleading, to take his holiness to, to heart, to live a godly life, to ask for forgiveness, to receive that and recognize the sweetness 
of God's sternness. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that you would perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, repentance and belief are the door that brings us into salvation, the door that opens up who we are or can be in Christ Jesus. If you struggle with a particular sin that you know is a sin against God, relinquish it. Don't be the hard-headed, stubborn people that Ezekiel is sent to. Ask God for the softness of your heart to be a parent. Come to him as a child lifts their arms to a father is received, knowing that they've just done something wrong, but dad's going to hold them. He's going to tell them it's okay. I forgive you. And there won't be broken relationship. There'll be good, loving relationship. That's the opportunity that we have with Jesus. The message from this pulpit, whether it's sweet, harsh, it will never change God's heart. And the message should never change because it's God's Word. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. And it's not us and them. It's just us who need a Savior. Some of us have realized that, and some of us haven't. He loves us all. Jesus died for us all. But God will protect his name. He won't stand for a church that alters his word. Be careful with his word. Read it for what it says. Eat it for the nourishment that it brings you, for the life that it gives you. Check what is said from this pulpit against the word. Make sure it is true and honest and consistent with the heart of the Father. Every book of the Bible is the story of the redemption, and you can count on it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. But equally, thank you that your intent is not that we would be dealt with in a harsh manner, but that we would be dealt with in a manner that opens our ears to truth, that we would be loved. You are magnificent, and we don't understand all your ways, but we do know that we're safe inside your words. We're safe inside your intent. We praise you. We lift you as Lord in every area. May you be honored. May your kingdom be expanded. In Jesus' name, amen.